We've been uh, moving through Luke a little bit, and we're going to continue to do that. Um, chapter 2 today, we're going to finish up chapter 2 and then, and then jump into chapter 3. So we'll start with uh, at Luke 2.41. There are a couple of things that significant that happen towards the end uh, of Luke 2 that we want to take a quick look at before we get into chapter 3. So Luke chapter 2, beginning at verse 41. Where are we? Here we go. Uh, every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. When he was 12 years old, they went up to the festival according to the custom. After the festival was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. But thinking he was in their company, they traveled on for a day. Then they began looking for him among their relatives. When they didn't find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. After three days, they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said, son, why have you treated us like this? Why were you searching for me, he asked. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he was saying to them. Then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. But his mother treasured all these things, and Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. We'll leave it right there. So this is an interesting story, and I don't know if you're a parent, if you want to run over and check on your children, make sure that they're where they're supposed to be right now. I, I understand that. Um, I think in the history of raising children, I may have lost my child for 15 minutes once and totally freaked me out. And as you read the story, you see that, you know, Mary and Joseph actually lose Jesus for about four days. So they travel for a day, then they realize he's gone. They travel back for a day, that's two days. They look for him for three days. So it may have been five days. I don't know. I don't even know what to do with that. So they go to Jerusalem for the Passover. On the return trip, they realize he's not with them. And uh, when they do find him, Mary says, son, you know, why, why, why have you treated us this way? We've been looking everywhere for you. And Jesus' response is, is, is interesting, and this is the thing we'll come back to in a minute. Uh, he says, why were you looking for me? How about that? Why were you looking for me? Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house. And then verse 51 and 52 says they went back to Nazareth and he goes with them and is obedient to them and he grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. So that, that's the first thing in chapter, in the end of chapter two that we, that's interesting. And then the second thing I want to point out that is a part of that uh, is that Jesus knows who he is. 
He's 12 years old. He's 12 years old, and we don't know exactly how fully he understands who he is and his calling and, and all of that, but, but he does know, to some degree at least, who he is. He says in his declaration, I had to be in my father's house. That's not a normal 12-year-old thing to say. Jesus recognizes that there is a special relationship. He has a special relationship. Already at 12 years old, he has an intimate relationship with his heavenly father. And he's, he's aware of it. He's aware of it. Now, here are a couple of applications that, that I want to make to those two things. N number one is that there are probably times for all of us when we're not sure where Jesus is. Probably all of us have had times in our life where maybe we're going through a hard time or going through some disappointment. We've prayed and things haven't happened the way we wanted them to happen. Prayers, it seems like maybe our, our prayers are bouncing off the ceiling and things are not happening. There, there are, are times when at least emotionally we may feel like we're not really sure where Jesus is. And, and what I want to say about that is it, that's okay. It's okay. Don't freak out because he knows where he is. He knows where he is. And just like he was then, he is now still about his father's business. And the best possible thing for you in any situation that you're in, anything that you encounter, any trouble that you come across, the best possible thing for Jesus to be doing is exactly what he's doing, giving attention to his father's business. Second thing, uh, about the 12-year-old thing, he's 12 years old, and I'm convinced that at 12, he knows what's coming. I believe that at 12 years old, he knows that is my father, and I am to serve him. And yet, he waits for 18 years. For 18 years. And, and what I want to say about that is that waiting is normal. Waiting is a normal part of the biblical narrative. And what that means to us is that waiting is a pretty normal part of the Christian life. We get anxious, we get in a hurry, we want things now. When, the minute we hear a word from the Lord, we think it's supposed to kick into action the next day. Joseph waited 13 years. If you read the Old Testament story of Joseph, he waits 13 years for things to start shifting and turning. Abraham waited 25 years. Moses waited 40 years. Do you know how long it took Noah to build that stinking boat? Over a hundred years. Could have been building that boat in a drought. But he waited. Willing to wait. Jesus waits 30 years to start his ministry. So waiting is an important part 
of the biblical narrative. Impatience and rushing and hurrying do not fit into the way of life that is modeled for us in Scripture. So if you are a frantic person, take a minute. Take a deep breath. Slow down. The Bible speaks of Kairos time. We, we call it the perfect time. Uh, moving when all of the conditions are right. That, that's really what it means. That God, when the conditions are right, when God has everything in place, then he moves in, in what we call the Kairos time. And, and, and I would just say personally for me in my life, I, when I look back on my life, I can see that the biggest mistakes that I've made have been the, the times that I've moved too quickly. The times that I've moved too quickly. And I, I really can't remember. I'm sure that there are times when I've made mistakes by moving too slowly, like maybe schoolwork. Um, but most of the time, mistakes were made because I was moving too quickly, not too slowly. And, and I would say to this, to, to young people, that is especially true in relationships. It's especially true in relationships. And I, I could go on and on and on about that, and maybe I will on another day, but uh, not today. So, uh, the best timing is God's timing. Okay? All right. Now, I'm going to turn to chapter 3, and I'm going to read, because I think we've got a little bit of a glitch on our screen. So, I'm going to read, do this the good old-fashioned way. So... Chapter 3 picks up this way. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, Herod, tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip, tetrarch of Arturia, and Trachonitus and Lysanias, tetrarch of Abilene, that's not Texas, uh, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas. So, so Luke is setting the historical setting. He wants us to understand when in history this happened. So he lays out all of that. The word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the desert. He went into all the country around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, a voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight paths for him. Every valley shall be filled in, every mountain and hill made low. The crooked roads shall become straight, the rough way smooth, and all mankind will see God's salvation. John said to the crowds coming out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the coming wrath, produce fruit in keeping with repentance, and do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father, for I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The ax is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. And the crowd asked, what should we do then? And John answered, the man with two tunics should share with him who has none, and the one who has food should do the same. The tax collectors also came to be baptized. Teacher, they asked, what should we do? Don't collect any more than you're required to, he told them. 
Then some soldiers asked him, and, and what about us? What should we do? And he replied, don't extort and don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. The people were waiting expectantly and were all wondering in their hearts if John might possibly be the Christ. And John answered them, I baptize you with water, but one more powerful than I will come, the thongs of whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshold floor and to gather the wheat into his barn. But he will burn up the shaft with unquenchable fire. And with many other words, John exhorted the people and preached the good news. And when John rebuked Herod, the Tetrarch, because of Herodias, his brother's wife, and all of the other evil things he had done, Herod added this to them all. He locked John in prison. Lord, I pray that, that you would speak to us here uh, from your word. We know that your word is true and, and we love it. And we pray that you would open our eyes to anything that you want us to see today. Open our ears to anything you want us to hear. Uh, things that we've heard before and things that are new. In Jesus' name, amen. Tiberius... You know, it starts off in the 15th year of Tiberius Caesar. And Tiberius, in my opinion, was one of, if not the most evil man that ever walked on the face of the earth. And I would say Google him, but don't. Uh, I'm serious. You're going to do it, aren't you? You're going to go home. You, you're probably pulling your phone out right now, and I'm just going to tell you, you, you'll be sorry. You'll wish that you hadn't, and then you'll blame it on me. But he, he, was, he was one of, if not the most evil men that ever walked on the face of the earth. And, and you really don't want to know, nor do you need to know, the details of his life. But, but during the reign of this decadent, evil king, God moves. Uh, now, uh, we read those words, the, the Tetrarch, the whole Tetrarch thing is, is, is interesting, and, and, and really it just kind of comes down to, uh, it's, a Tetrarch is, is a system where you divide uh, an area into four parts. And so the, each, each part, each of the four parts has a tetrarch. And so it's, it's dividing up the, the empire so that, you know, it's like different states or whatever. Um, my opinion is that they started this after Herod the Great died. And my opinion is that it was just a way of, and this is just my opinion, but it was just a way of his, all of his sons getting to have their own place to do evil things. And, uh, that's kind of the way it played out, but it, uh, it was a system that was in the Roman Empire for, for some time. Now, uh, this particular uh, Tiberius is a ruler for a period of time, from about, I think from about 15 to 37. And so it's, he starts when Jesus is a teenager-ish and, and rules up until a little bit after uh, this time. And so... He's been ruling, so, so this has been, uh, it says this is the 15th year of his rule. And so Jesus is 30 at this time, or 29-ish. So he's, he came into to power when Jesus was about 14 or 15. And, uh, and John 
who is the son of Zechariah, in the desert, and the word of the Lord comes to him. And John's response is to, to begin a ministry of preaching repentance. And this is what John means by repentance. Turn from and turn to. Now, understand, this, this is really one of the primary ways that repentance is different than being sorry. When, when you're sorry, you just feel bad about what you did and you wish you hadn't done it. That's sorrow. Repentance is different in what it produces. Repentance produces life because it's not just feeling bad about something. It's turning away from something and going towards something. So you're turning away from evil and moving towards good. And that produces something in your life. It produces life. What does sorrow produce? Well, sorrow just in and of itself produces shame. If there's no movement, if there's no turning and no shifting, but you're just feeling sorry, you'll just be ashamed. And shame leads to death. And so you've got the difference between repentance and sorrow is that repentance will lead to life and sorrow will just lead to shame, which produces death. And so John comes preaching a message of repentance. And he says in that message that he wants to see people produce works worthy of repentance. Now, understand that John is not saying, he's not preaching a works righteousness. He's not preaching, you know, that if you do these things, it will produce righteousness or it will earn your salvation. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is, if you turn away from sin and turn towards God, good things will be produced in your life. God will produce fruit in your life. And so he's saying, actually, that if you truly turn, there will be fruit that shows that you have turned. And so he's asking them, produce fruit that's worthy of repentance. Don't just say, I'm sorry, and hope that makes it better. But actually repent. Turn towards God and give yourself to him and trust him and believe him to produce good fruit in your life. So John says those two things that are really important. He says, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And then the second thing he says in his message that's important is don't depend on being a child of Abraham. Don't depend on being a child of Abraham. They've grown up believing in this promise. They're children of Abraham. And with that, there is a promise that is carried. And that's what they've trusted in and believed in. So what's wrong with that? I mean, God gave them that promise. Why, why should they not? depend on being a child of Abraham. Because this is the shifting from the promise being a promise to the promise being a reality. And the shifting is into a new covenant that calls for them not to put their faith in Abraham or the promise that was given to him, but to put their faith in Christ, who is the realization of the promise. Now, here's how I would say that we could apply this today. Now, if you're Jewish, then you should know how to apply that. Don't trust in Abraham, trust in Christ. If you're not Jewish, you might be scratching your head and wondering, well, how, how does this apply to me? Well, I would say it applies in this way, perhaps. Don't put your faith in something that happened when you were 12. 
Don't put your faith in something that happened when you were 16 or 31. Don't put your faith solely in anything that happened in the past, but believe in the God of now. Believe in the God of today and walk with him. Don't just say, well, I was baptized when I was 11. But have a a current, life-giving, love relationship with Jesus now, today. Walk with him. Don't just depend on the past. And, And even to carry it a step further, well, I go to church. Or... I'm a Methodist or I'm a Baptist or I'm whatever title you put after that. Don't put your faith in things that have happened in the past or associations that you have with groups of people even in the present, but put your faith in Christ and Christ alone. Put your faith in Christ and Christ alone. Now, again, let me reiterate that the time that John begins his ministry and the time that Jesus begins his, which is shortly thereafter, was an incredibly evil time. We may think, and if you watch the news, if you pay attention to things that are going on, current events, locally, nationally, internationally, you may think that we live in an incredibly evil time. And I I just want to say to you, there is nothing new under the sun. There is nothing new under the sun. There is evil in the world that we live in, but we didn't invent it. It's been around. And and if, if you don't believe me, go home and Google Tiberius. I promise you'll wish you hadn't, but I can promise you this as well. You haven't seen anything on Jerry Springer that that he didn't participate in. The dude was crazy. So the point is, under one of the most evil kings, one of the most evil leaders in history, comes a man from God named John. And he begins to declare and prepare the way. That's his job. His job is to prepare the way for the one who's coming. He says clearly, I'm not the one. Don't put your faith in me. Don't put your faith in Abraham. Put your faith in God, the son of God, the Messiah. He is the one who is coming. Put your faith in him. I am simply here to prepare the way for him. Now, I want to, uh, I want to read from Isaiah 40 because it, Isaiah says it so well, and I, and I want you to just close your eyes and soak this in. Isaiah 40. Comfort. Comfort my people, says your God. 
Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the wilderness a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill will be made low. The rough ground shall become level, the rugged places a plain, and the glory of the Lord will be revealed. And all mankind together will see it, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice cries out. A voice says, cry out. And I said, what shall I cry? All men are like grass. And all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers. The flowers fall because the breath of the Lord blows on them. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers and the flowers fall. But the word of our God stands forever. You who bring good tidings to Zion, go up on a high mountain. You who bring good things to Jerusalem, lift up your voice with a shout. Lift it up. Don't be afraid. Say to the towns of Judah, here is your God. See, the sovereign Lord comes with power and his arm rules for him. See, his reward is with him and his recompense accompanies him. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand or with the breath of his hand marked off the heavens? Who has held the dust of the earth in a basket or weighed the mountains on the scales and the hills in a balance? Who has understood the mind of the Lord or instructed him as his counselor? Whom did the Lord consult to enlighten him? And who taught him the right way? Who was it that taught him knowledge or showed him the path of understanding? Surely the nations are like a drop in a bucket. They're regarded as dust on the scales. He weighs the islands as though they were fine dust. Lebanon is not sufficient for altar fires, nor its animals enough for burnt offerings. Before him, all the nations are as nothing. They are regarded by him as worthless, as less than nothing. To whom then will you compare God? What image will you compare him to? As for an idol, a craftsman casts it. And a goldsmith overlays it with gold and fashions silver chains for it. A man too poor to present such an offering selects wood that will not rot. He looks for a skilled craftsman to set up an idol that will not topple. Do you not know? Have you not heard? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood since the earth was founded? He sits enthroned above, above the circle of the earth and its people 
are like grasshoppers. He stretches out the heavens like a canopy and spreads them out like a tent to live in. He brings princes to naught and reduces the rulers of this world to nothing. No sooner are they planted, no sooner are they sown, no sooner do they take root in the ground than he blows on them and they wither and a whirlwind sweeps them away like chaff. To whom will you compare me? Or who is my equal, says the Holy One. Lift your eyes and look to the heavens. Who created all of these? He who brings out the starry hosts one by one and calls them each by name. Because of his great power and mighty strength, not one of them is missing. Who do you say, O Jacob? Why do you say, O Jacob, and complain, O Israel? My way is hidden from the Lord. My cause is disregarded by my God. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will not, they will walk and not faint. We live in a time that we think is overcome with evil and immorality. Scripture says there's nothing new under the sun. The grass withers, flowers fall, but the word of God endures forever. For those who hope in the Lord, he will renew their strength. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. No matter what your situation, no matter how difficult your current circumstance, the word of God and the faithfulness of God remains true and steadfast. His way is unshakable. He has not forgotten you. He will not forget you. He cares for you like a shepherd. He holds you close to his heart. There may be times when you wonder, Jesus, where are you? There is never a moment where he wonders where you are because he knows exactly. He never takes his eyes off of you. He never removes his hands from you. You can trust him. He is good and he is for you. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Let's pray.
Lord, we love you. We do trust you. And Lord, we, we know that your word is true and that it is full of promises, just like the one we read. Lord, I pray we would not neglect, we would not forget, we would not get too far removed from what you've promised and what you've written. Help us, Lord, to stay close, to draw near, to be intimate with you. In Jesus' name, amen.